Romans, the eighth chapter. We're going to read, our, our focus will be on verse 28, but we're going to read 28 down through 31. So Romans 8, 28 through 31, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. And what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? So let's pray once again the the old Puritan's prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and who we are not make us. And it's in Christ's name and for His sake we pray. Amen. Amen. As I said, we're still going to focus today on verse 28, if you just put 28 up by itself. One of the greatest promises that's found in the Word of God for the children of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. We talked about some of this last Sunday. Well, what do we know? (laughs) Well, Paul was making a statement of certainty for the child of God. And and as we talked about, from this verse through the remainder of the chapter, he's going to go over the things so that we can have the certainty of what we know. And what is it that we should know? All things work together for good. All things. Good things, bad things. All things. And, and, and I said last Sunday, and, and, and be sure you listen. Paul is not saying that all, everything is good. He's not saying that everything is good. But he's saying that God causes all things to work together for good. There's a vast difference in that. He's not saying everything's good, but he is saying he will work everything for good. For our good, for His glory, all things, trials, tribulations, persecutions, all things. And let me say this, what about our sin? What about our failures? Will He work them together for good? Yes, all things. Well, how can that be? How can that be? Now now listen, God is not the author of sin, amen? God can tempt no one to sin. Amen? But God will take even our sin and failure and work them together for good. We have a promise. (laughs) And then perhaps someone would say, well, all right. Well, I'll just sin so that God can be more good. We've always already talked about this, haven't we? Paul has already addressed someone that would have a mindset such as this when he was talking about the grace of God. Let's remind ourselves in Romans 5, verse 20 and 21. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. Now remember when we talked about this? What's it saying? How would I have known sin unless the law had not told me thou shalt not covet? The the law entered so that we might know sin. That's what it's saying there. But where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then let's keep going into verse 1 and 2 in chapter 6. And then Paul was already... Or when someone was going to say, well, I'll just sin so that grace will abound. And he he says this, what shall we say then? Shall we sin or shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who die to sin live any longer in it? And we can't. We can't continually live in it. 
That can't be our continual practice of life, sin. If, if it is, what's that say about our faith? It's not a saving faith. We cannot perpetually live in sin. That is our practice of life. That is what he's saying. Well, I'll just sin that grace may abound. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, as children of God, we are not exempt from temptations, from suffering, from persecution, from trials. But we know that God will take even these things, even the worst of these things, and turn them, work them together for good. And let me clarify the promise again. God causes all things to work together for good to who? To everyone on the face of the planet? No, to who? To those who love God. See, this promise is not a blanket for everyone on the face of this planet, but rather for those who love God. Now, I didn't talk too much about this last week other than to say it is believers who love God. Unbelievers are enemies. God is their enemy. They're enemies of God. They are hostile toward God. They do not love Him. And I've spoken often about being two categories of people on the face of this planet, those who love God, those who hate God. Those who are walking in the light of Christ and those who are yet in their darkness. Those who are alive in Christ, those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. Those who love God, those who hate God. Always two categories when it concerns our identity in Christ and our standing before God. And today I want us to look at some evidences that might prove we are a child of God, that we truly love God. First, since we have just said that God will work all things, all things, good or bad, all things for good, as a child of God, this we know. And so if we know this, all things work together for good to those who love God, what should be our reaction in the midst of a trial or adversity? When we know, what do we know? It, it keeps coming back to this. What do we know? God's going to work all things together for good. So when we're in a situation that is bad, when we're in the midst of a situation that's a trial, a tribulation, a persecution, what should our attitude be? Should we shake our fist at God? God, what are you doing? God, I, I don't deserve this. You ever been there? I have, in my life, I have had the wrong attitude. Perhaps some of you struggle with this very thing. But bring it back to what we know. He will work all things. All things. So if we truly love God, how do we respond to trials and adversity? Now here, let's do this. Remember the the peril of the sower and the seed. Um, I would imagine we most all remember that sower. Remember, he was sowing seed, and, and it said some seeds fell on stony ground. And what happened? Well, the, the seed sprang up. It sprang up, but it was not rooted in good soil. And then when the sun came up and the heat came, what happened? It withered. It just withered away. And Jesus gave the explanation in, in Matthew 13. Let's read 20 through 23. But he who received the seed in stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself. Now let me pause there. He is not rooted and grounded in Christ. And, and of ourselves do we have a sustaining root. No. No. No, we don't. So this is the one who has, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, because of the word, the trials and tribulations have a purpose. Yes, uh, we're going through James on Wednesday nights. 
and I hope that if you're not able to come that you're following along or, or at least reading the book of James because it tells us these things come for a purpose to test our faith that we might know that we might know that our faith is genuine. For when tribulation and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Or as it said earlier in the chapter, withers. No root. And then verse 22 talks about the, the thorns. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. In verse 23, but he who received seed on the good ground. This is the true believer, the, the ones who are rooted and grounded in Christ and draw their life from Him. He is the vine, we are the branches. We draw our life from Him. Our strength comes from Him. But he who has received seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it who indeed bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, if you receive the Word of God and you understand it, what does that mean? I believe that means you are a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit in you. How can we understand the things of God except the Spirit of God? We can't. Apart from the Spirit of God in us, the message of the cross is what? Foolishness. So to understand it, to hear the word and understand means there has been a work done by God. And it is He who has planted us in that good ground. And see, this all echoes uh, Jeremiah 17, doesn't it? Let's read verse 7 and 8 in Jeremiah 17. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. It's good ground, isn't it? That is good ground when you're by the river and there's moisture there. Even times of drought, there will be moisture that would come from that river and saturate the, 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 the ground that's around, who spreads out its root by the river and will not Fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. This is the one planted, rooted in good ground. In other words, planted and rooted in Christ. You see, trials and adversities give us a test. And will the test we face reveal a faith that withers? or a sustaining, saving faith that continues to bear the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Now, in each and every circumstance and trial of life, will we always respond perfectly? No. I've already admitted I have failed miserably many times in my life. I, I, I hope, I pray, I, I think Barb would attest that I'm getting better. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I was just where I'm at today, 50 years ago, it would be good. It'd be good. But here I'm almost 70 and, and I'm still learning. But we all are still learning, still attaining, still striving for that upward call. We'll not respond always perfectly. If we're truly a born-again believer, we will never ultimately lose our love for God. Can I say that? Yes, I, I can say that. We may have momentary failures, but we repent, and He is faithful to forgive. Our love for Him may waver from time to time, but His love for us never wavers. May we always know that. Never, never, never. And though our love may waver, it will never die if we are born again why why how can you say such a thing preacher how can you say such a thing because as a born again believer we know that we can only love him everything we've been saying so far this morning because he first loved us first john four nineteen. 
We love Him, and we can only love Him, my paraphrase, because He first loved us. See, this love relationship was initiated by God. And we can only love God because He first loved us. So so do you see, if we... Now think about this. If you love God, truly love God, what's that mean? That He has first loved you. And if He has first loved you, then that miracle of regeneration has taken place. Do you understand what I'm saying? If we love God, that's a guarantee that He first loved us. If we truly love Him and have been saved by grace through faith, that's that's an evidence that He has poured His love out in our hearts. Uh, This was from Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. So let's go back and read that. It's been... I kind of went back in notes and looked. This was probably over a year ago. Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's that relationship with God. We're no longer enemies, but we're at peace. At peace. Through Christ. Verse 2, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Because tribulations have a purpose in our life. Yes, knowing. Wait a minute, here's something else we, we should know. This we know. What do we know? You know, if the children of God would keep coming back to what we know, not what we think, always though we're to think on good things, but what we know from the Word of God. Thus saith the Lord. Keep coming back to what we know. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So if we know we have been loved by God and we love Him, we have the Holy Spirit in us, because it's the Holy Spirit that has poured that Love into our hearts. And this outpouring of love is not the works of man. This is the work of God through the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. It's owing to the Holy Spirit. We don't make it happen. The Holy Spirit makes it happen. It's His work. God loved us and poured His love into our heart before we loved Him. 1 John 4, verses 7 through 10. 1 John 4, 7 through 10. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Do, do, do we get that? Love God. It means that. A transformation has taken place because otherwise we wouldn't love Him. We wouldn't love as we should. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, was made known, was revealed to us. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, this is amazing love. Amazing love. (laughs) 
1 John 3, verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Born-again believer, think of that. What manner of love the Father has bestowed on me, has bestowed on you, Christian, that we should be called children of God. That's amazing love. That's, that's enduring, inseparable love. I, I said later in the chapter of Romans 8 that Paul is going to keep giving us these evidences. And we're going to read, go ahead and read it about that inseparable love in verses 35 through 39 in Romans 8. Romans 8, 35 through 39. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can stand against us? The gates of hell cannot prevail against us. You see that. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And to that we should say, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! What... What can pluck us out of His hand? Nothing. Nothing. May we know how much God loves us. John three fourteen through 16 And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved. See, this love was of such an intensity and of such a magnitude that it moved God to give His only begotten Son to die so that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 5, verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word, this is Christ, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, who sent him, the Father, so who believes in the Father who has sent me, this, this is Christ, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. John 6, verse 47. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. John 3.16 again, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's the good news. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And then the question is, do you believe? Do you believe? You know that God loves you and has provided a rescue for you in the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? And the only way you can truly know that is Him revealing it to you. For God so loved, great love, great love, Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. Ephesians 2, 4 through 6. 
But God, who is rich in mercy because of His great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us set together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is great love. Great love. This love conquers our spiritual deadness. This love conquers our unbelief. Do you see that? This love gives new life. It brings us to faith. It unites us to Christ all in one sovereign, gracious moment. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love with which He loved us, me, even when we, even when I was dead in trespasses, He made us, He made me alive. Child of God, do you you glory in the grace that's been shown to you? Do you rejoice in it and give thanks? We love Him and can only love Him because He first loved us. Back to Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Do I love God? Do you love God? What's the evidences of our life? What's the evidences? Test yourself. What's the evidence of her life? Well, one evidence in the life of a true believer that loves God will be obedience. Will it not? Will be obedience. John 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience. If we love Him, do what He says. Luke 6, verse 43. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? See, there will be many you will stand before God the Father and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things? But there was no true love. No true love. Because a persistently disobedient heart is an unbelieving and unloving heart. A persistently, continually Disobedient heart is an unbelieving and unloving heart. Again, are we perfect? No. Not yet. Uh, John MacArthur, I like how he put, put this. Quote, Obviously, we do not love Christ as full as we ought because we are still imperfect and are contaminated by the sinful remnants of the old self. It is for that reason Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 1, 9-11, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Now, let me pause there. For How, how are we going to grow in, in knowledge and discernment? How are we going to do that? We're just going to lay our head on the pillow, and we're just going to absorb it during the night, and and just wake up and we're going to know more than when we went to bed. Is that, yeah, I'm being facetious. How are we going to do this? We've said it over and over and over. Read it. Read it. Study it. Meditate on it. If you can, memorize it. 
least parts of it. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things which are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You see, Paul wrote this letter. John says their their love for God was genuine, but not yet perfect. And so we need reminders, don't we? I need reminders. That's why we're here, to be reminded of what the Word of God says. I can't tell you a thing that this, well, I can, but if it doesn't come from here, you should walk out that door if it doesn't line up with this. That ended the MacArthur quote, by the way. Does a child of God here on earth love God perfectly? No. No, we don't. But it should be and will be our heart's utmost desire to strive to obey Him, to strive to please Him. Because a, a true love for God, here's another thing, a true love for God will have a longing for personal communion with God through prayer and the reading of His Word. Do you love Him? Well, do you talk to Him? Do you pray? Do you, do you love Him? Do you, do, you read, do you read all the letters that He put together for you? Do, do you read them? Do you love Him? Psalms 42, 1 and 2. Psalms 42, first two verses. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. My O oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Do you thirst for God? Does your soul pant for Him? Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is none upon earth that I desire besides you? Do we have a desire for, for the Father? We sang the song this morning, Oh God, You are my God. And oh, the Mullins, I believe, got the lyrics to that from this Psalm 60. Three verses, and we're going to read one through five. O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. Now let me pause here. Is, is this us? Is this is our is this our love for God? That we can say this is us. So I have loved you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. We love Him. Psalms 119, verses 165 through 170. <laughs> it's not often that you can say, well, I don't guess there's anywhere else you can say that, is there? Yeah. Chapter 119, drop down to verse 165. Longest chapter in the Bible. 165 through 170. Great peace have those who love your law. <laughs> Do you have peace? And nothing causes them to stumble. Lord, I hope for your salvation. And I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. And I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies. For all my ways are before you. See, that's something to think about. All my ways are before the Lord. All yours are before the Lord. He knows everything. Everything. 
Are we all getting that? Say amen. You, you younger ones, do you get that? God sees and knows everything that you think and do. You got that? God knows. Even though we can hide from mom and dad, we can keep secrets from mom and dad, God knows. And, and just so you won't think I'm just picking on you, the Word is telling that to us old folks too. The God knows all about us. Everything. 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 All my For all my ways are before the Lord. And, and since we know He loves us, if we're born again, and since we love Him, and since we know He sees all things, man, why do I ever disobey? Why? How? Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. See, the, the, palmist, the psalmist said there, that, that first part, Great peace have those who love your law. See, as believers, as those who love God, we have a divine and secure peace. Amen? A divine and secure peace that the world cannot give, the world cannot possess, the world cannot understand, and the world cannot take away. You get that? If you lose your peace of mind because of everything that's going around in the world and try to blame it on the world, don't do it. Because we have an inner peace. Don't let the things around you steal your joy, rob you of your peace. We need to remember that. We need to remember that. John 14, verse 27. Peace I leave with you, Jesus said. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Now, we don't, see, we don't want whatever the world would call peace. Because they don't know what peace is. Huh. That's very evident today, isn't it? This one over here screaming peace, peace, and living like this. These over here peace, peace, living like this. Colliding at war with one another. <laughs> the world doesn't know what peace is. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, and neither let it be afraid. Because <laughs> we have promises in the Word of God. John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Is there any doubt that we're going to have tribulation? No, there is no doubt about it. Jesus tells us we will. So be prepared. And have the right attitude in the midst of them. In the world you will have tribulation, but be a good cheer. <laughs> I have overcome the world. Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7. These are all verses you know. And many of you can recite these very verses. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. See, see, when we do that, when we do that, when we, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, go to God in prayer. Peace. Do we pray? Do we pray? See, that lyric comes to my mind. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. That's true, isn't it? We'll forfeit our peace trying to figure it out on our own trying to run to the world for the answers when what we're called to do is to pray. And to pray. To pray. Let your requests be made known to God. Pray. 
Now here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Do you believe that? This we know. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4. You, God, will keep Him, that's me, that's you, in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for on Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. He will give us perfect peace. Does it mean everything around us will be peaceful? No. And, and don't, don't think it will. Trials and tribulations will be there. It doesn't mean things around us will be peaceful, but we can be peaceful within. Do you understand that? When all the world is going crazy, we can rest in Christ and be at peace. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah the Lord is everlasting strength. Do you have peace? Do you love God? Just a couple more things. A genuine love for God is sensitive to God's will and to God's honor. And, and, and me saying that, when God is blasphemed or dishonored, it causes those who truly love God to feel pain and sorrow. Now, I'm going to take the verse, Psalm 69, verse 9, to apply it to this thought. Because zeal for your house has eaten me up, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Now, I know we could, we could take that and we could... We, we could apply that to the story of, of Christ when he went and saw what they were doing in his father's house in the temple and they had made it a, a den of thieves and, and in righteous anger he tore up the place, didn't he? Because they blasphemed his father, he felt the reproach upon him because they were dishonoring his father. Now, I want to apply that to us today. When, when, when we hear someone taking the Lord's name in vain, when, when, when the Word of God is being trampled on, when God is blasphemed, does that affect you, child of God? Do you feel because they are bringing reproach upon your Father, do you feel that reproach because you're a child of God? You should. It, it, if, you, if you love God, it, it, it should greatly affect you and perhaps even be a call to action in some form or fashion. Action to such a degree that Christ did? Perhaps. Or perhaps just to stand up for the truth of God and His Word. Let them know you don't appreciate them taking God through the gutter and using His name as a swear word and telling all manner of things, blaspheming Him. We'll close with these thoughts. A, a genuine love for God is also a call to love one another. Amen. It's also a call to love one another. First John 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God, and he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Love one another. First John 4, verses 20 and 21. Now listen, listen to this. If, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. And God knows the truth of the matter, doesn't he? All you can say, oh yeah, I love God, I love God. 
And just a little bit deeper in that thought, even as you're saying those words, you're going, man, I'm going to get that guy. You're a liar. You don't love God. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God who he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God, what's a little word? Must. Say it with me. Must love his brother also. It's imperative. You cannot hate others and still love God as you should. Do we love God? Do I love God? Do we love others? Do I love others? Examine yourselves this morning. When Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment in the law? Remember what he said. Many of you have probably got this committed to memory. We're going to read it from Mark 12 this morning and also read it in Matthew. I believe it's 22. But in Mark 12, verse 30 and 31, and, and just know it's taken from Deuteronomy. So you can go find the reference there. Mark 12, verse 30 and 31. Mark 12, 30, 31. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, let me pause there for a moment. You see the emphasis. And it's not a progression either upward or downward or anything. It's not a progression, but it's a great emphasis. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Emphasizing each of those. Do you see that? With, with all of our being. This is the first commandment, and the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. There's your two commandments to follow. Because if you're following these two, you're following everything. You're following them all. So true love for God encompasses our entire being, heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'll ask it again, do you love God? You love Him. And does the evidence of your life bear out the answer that you would give? And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purposes. And it's, it's, it's pretty imperative to know if we love God or not. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. It's, it, it cuts right to us. It, it, it's a mirror that we look into and we see who we truly are. Perfect reflection. Good, bad, ugly, all of it. Because your word reveals it so father for those who are truly born again for those in whom you have poured out your love into their heart i pray that you would help us lord to love you as we should as your word is commanded help us lord to be obedient and and help us to be quickly rebuked or quickly convicted when we do stumble, when we do sin, when we do act unloving. And Father, may we repent of those things and we know that you're faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, keep teaching us. 
keep revealing yourself and your truths to us, Lord, just through the truth of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit that's in us, Lord. Enlighten us. Help us to grow more and more in, 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 in grace and knowledge and love. And, and Father, should there be one that is listening to this sermon or has listened that is still lost. That they've heard that they've they've heard that you are love and that they've heard that you've loved the world and, and sent Jesus to die as as a payment, a ransom for sin. That they've heard but they have not truly believed. I pray, Father, that you would perform a miracle of mercy and grace that only you can do in, in truly opening their eyes to your great truths so they might know without a shadow of a doubt who you are, most gracious and kind, righteous and holy God, and, and that at that moment they could see exactly who they are, truly knowing that they are a sinner, truly knowing that they are standing before most holy judge and knowing that apart from some miracle, they know their destination is hell. And, and Father, open their eyes to see the rescue of Christ. Open their eyes to see the glory of the work of the cross. Let them see and grant them faith to believe. And Lord, in believing that they, they, they cry out for mercy and they, they confess their sins before you, receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. And should one come to that point, Lord, I pray that you would help them to confess that to others as well. To share what you have done in them. And Lord, I believe that they, <laughs> they really won't be able to keep it silent when you do this great miracle. And Father, help us not to be silent either, but to proclaim your goodness and mercy. Lord, coming into December now, and we know the thoughts of much of the world is toward a day that they've got no clue of what it's even about. Christmas, Christ Mass, and they have no clue, but Lord, what a great time to share about who Christ is and to share about the incarnation of how Christ came and why He came. So, Father, help us to be bold in proclaiming truth. Help us to honor You as we should. Help us to uphold your righteousness. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen.